If you got your Bible, we're going to start reading in verse number 26. Verse 26. The Bible says this, And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Verse number 29. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor. Everybody say favor. Thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. And he shall be great. Don't you love that? He's going to be great. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Lord, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and power, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she, uh, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God, nothing, everybody say nothing, with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Let's have a word of prayer this morning. Father, thank you for this day that you've given us. Thank you for your word this morning. God, thank you that we have a more sure word of prophecy. God, thank you that we know that your word will not return void this morning. God, it's not about what any of us have to say or what we think, but God, it's about what your word says and what your word declares. God, thank you for coming uh, so humbly to this earth, living a perfectly sinless life and dying on the cross for our sins so that we could have a relationship with you. God, I pray that this morning as we look to this Christmas story, the greatest story ever told, God, I pray that our hearts can be awakened. God, I pray that we can have a renewed sense of passion uh, for why we're here on earth, Lord, to, to lift your name up. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, how many of you would say that you are a morning person? Can I see your hands? You're a morning person. How many of you would say, definitely not? I'm definitely not a morning person. That's more you. Okay, uh, very good. We're, we're a little bit divided here. I would say that right now, I, I would consider myself a morning person. Um, not, not meaning that I love to wake up early, but I feel like I'm most productive in the mornings. When I'm up in the morning, I, I, I seem to uh, be operating at, at, at a better level. And uh, I, I like to work in the mornings. But it wasn't always that way. Uh, when I was in junior high and when my brother was in high school, we shared a room and uh, we had trouble waking up in the morning for school. And uh, my mom would come in every day and she would say, all right, time to get up, wake up. And uh, she would just stand there until we physically got out of bed. And then when she left the room, naturally we would get back in bed and go to sleep for a little bit longer. So my mom uh, would stand there and she would just kind of wait until we went into the bathroom, wait till the shower was on. And my brother taught me this trick that if I were to go into the bathroom, turn the shower on, and bring a blanket and a pillow in the bathroom with me, I could get a few extra minutes of sleep that way, and it worked out pretty great. Five, ten extra minutes of sleep does a lot in the morning. And so that worked out for a while until my mom kind of figured out that we were doing that. And my mom kind of had enough. Me and my brother were sleeping in too much, and she had enough that we weren't waking up on time for school. And so uh, we had this cat uh, growing up. We Actually, we had several cats growing up. They all 
didn't last long, but we had a lot of cats growing up. And uh, my mom, uh, she had this, this spray bottle that whenever our cat would kind of uh, uh, scratch the couch, she would go and spray that cat uh, with this spray bottle of water. And I remember one morning I was just sleeping peacefully. Everything was going fine. And my mom came in, and she took that spray bottle, and she just started spraying me in the face uh, so much with that water. And I remember I was shocked. I was surprised, sleeping peacefully. All of a sudden, my face is all wet. I'm like, whoa, what's going on? Mom, I'm not a cat. Like, whoa, what's going on? And my mom was just, like, spraying me. She's like, you need to get up. And uh, so I, I, I definitely got up. That was, that was a, a rude awakening, to say the least. When we come to Luke chapter number 1 in Scripture, there is an awakening for the ages. Uh, there had been silence for about 400 years from God. From the completion of the Old Testament canon, from Malachi to the book of Matthew and Luke, there had been about 400 years of silence. God had not spoken. There had not been divine revelation. There were no angels. There were no miracles. It was absolutely silent. And then we come to Luke chapter number 1, and there is an awakening. God comes, and he invades heaven, invades earth with the message that the coming Messiah is at hand. This was an amazing message. The silence was shattered. The quietness was interrupted with this message. And this message caused many to wonder, many people to be amazed and to be excited. In fact, uh, when Mary and Joseph kind of found out all the ramifications of, of, of their baby, of Jesus, what that would mean, they, they marveled. The Bible says this in Luke chapter number 2, verse 33, and Joseph and his mother marveled. Everybody say marveled. They marveled at those things which were spoken of him. They were amazed at, at, at this news, what, it, what Jesus meant, that he was salvation. He was a light to all the Gentiles, to all people. This was an amazing message. The Bible describes Jesus' advent in John chapter number 1. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Speaking of Jesus, verse number 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And so while some people at this first advent of Jesus, this first coming of Jesus, while some people marveled and they were amazed and they wondered at this, others didn't quite understand it. The, the darkness comprehended it not. The darkness could not overcome it. The city of Bethlehem, they didn't understand the ramifications of Jesus. They didn't understand that. Herod, the ruler, he did not understand what was going on. The innkeeper did not understand. Many people did not understand the wonder that was taking place here in Luke chapter number one. It, it was a mystery to them. And I think that the problem sometimes with Chris, Christmas is so many people uh, lose the wonder, lose the meaning of what Christmas is really all about. Uh, our, our, our daughter Liv, her grandparents are here today, and uh, they bought her a couple weeks ago a snow globe. And uh, this was their, her first time to ever see a snow globe, and this is her. And I just love this picture because I love the way that Liv is looking at the snow globe because she had never seen one before. And uh, there's something special about a childlike wonder, isn't there, when they're just like, man, this is amazing. And I think the problem so many times is either we've lost or we've misplaced our sense of wonder when it comes to the things of God. And a lot of times we can get so excited and we can get so enamored in culture and so excited about entertainment and so excited and so interested in fame and fortune that intrigues us. And on a horizontal level, when we look around us, there's a little bit of wonder, there's a little bit of excitement. But when it comes to a vertical level, there's an absence of wonder. And what I want to encourage you today is don't let your horizontal wonder with the things around you, the things on earth, distract or deter from the vertical wonder when it comes to the things of God. And so this morning, I want to talk a little bit about how we can awaken the wonder. There was a church in Revelation chapter number three, the church at Sardis. And uh, this church was kind of just going through the motions. They were just trying to, you know, just kind of do their job, just doing what they were doing, just totally going through the motions. And Jesus wrote to them in Revelation uh, chapter uh, number three, verse number two. He says, be watchful. Everybody say, be watchful. Be watchful. What, what that means is wake up. 
stop just going through the motions. Stop just kind of uh, going by to get by. You need to wake up and strengthen the things which remain that uh, are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. And so he encourages them, hey, don't just go through the motions. Sometimes it's good to have a spiritual awakening. And I believe that God has called us to this community to bring about an awakening that only Jesus can bring. I believe that God wants us to come to this culture, come to this city, come to this community, and wake up the wonder of the real meaning of Christmas. Wake up the wonder of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Psalms chapter 96, verse number 3, that we are to declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders. Everybody say wonders. His wonders among the people. That's our purpose. That, that's, that's our calling in life, to lift up the name of Jesus, to declare his glory, and to let everybody know about the wonder of his name. So this morning, how can we awaken the wonder? As Christians, as a community of believers, and, and uh, if we want to uh, spread this message of Jesus into this community, how are we going to awaken the wonder of Jesus and awaken the wonder of Christmas? Well, I believe that we don't need to look any further than the Christmas story in Luke chapter number one. And there are four uh, principles that I want to uh, give you this morning. If you're taking notes, you can jot, the, jot these down or you can remember these. Number one, how can we awaken the wonder? Number one, we've got to rest assured that God is in control. We've got to rest assured that God is in control. One of the reasons why I believe that we are lacking wonder in our lives is because we're filled with worry. And we can't be filled with wonder if we're filled with worry. And a lot of times we're so worried about the details of life and how everything's going to fall into place that we're not wondering and worshiping God the way that we should because we're filled with worry. Notice what the Bible says in Luke chapter number 1, verse number 26. And in the sixth month, that was the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, in the sixth months, Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, in these first few verses, we have a lot of details about the Christmas story. Okay, A lot, a lot of information that takes place in those verses that we just read. And there's two things that I see in those verses. The first thing that I see is there's a major interruption. I mean, for 400 years, God has been silent. No miracles, no angels, no divine revelation. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up and shows up into uh, this city of Nazareth in the region of Galilee. And so this was a major interruption. Uh, Mary uh, was a spouse. She would have been getting ready to uh, get married. She was wedding planning. Wedding planning. Well, her wedding planning quickly turned into baby planning uh, because she had this major interruption in her life. And uh, there's, this, there's this major interruption uh, that takes place. Uh, the Bible says this in Galatians chapter 4, verse number 4, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. And so this was all a part of God's timing. It seemed like a major interruption, humanly speaking, that, that God came in and just announced this message to Mary and Joseph, completely interrupted their lives, but it was all in God's timing. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter number 3, verse number 1, to everything there is a season and a time. Everybody say a time. A time to every purpose under the heaven. And uh, the other day I saw a video, I was on Facebook and I saw a video and uh, this guy, uh, I think the headline said, uh, husband almost dies trying to scare wife. And uh, I thought, oh, this sounds interesting because sometimes occasionally I like to scare Katie. And so I thought, well, this, this should be good. And so I clicked on this video and basically what it was, uh, this, this man, uh, this husband was hiding under a pile of leaves. And uh, he was going to wait for his wife uh, to come home, and he was going to jump out and scare. Well, while he was hiding in the leaves, uh, a phone rang, and uh, he went to answer the phone. I think we have the video clip, and uh, we'll show it right now. So there he is hiding in the leaves. Dad, the phone's ringing. Really? 
Are you kidding me? Went through my leaf pile, seriously? I love that, you went through my leaf pile. Come on, are you kidding me? And uh, the, the thing that annoyed him, that irritated him, that phone call ended up saving his life. Can I say this this morning? Not every interruption is an intrusion. And sometimes what seems like an interruption, what seems like your interruption is actually God's intervention. And sometimes God knows how to interrupt our schedule in order to accomplish something better. And this seemed like a major interruption to Mary and Joseph. Why would God let this happen right now? They're just teenagers. This is, this is a, a time for them to, to get married and wedding plan. And now God comes in and there's this major interruption. But let me just encourage you this morning to trust God's timing and to rest assured that God is in control. Even when it seems like things aren't lining up and when it th- seems like things don't make sense, we need to rest assured that God is in control. And so I see this major interruption, but I also see from a human standpoint, there is imperfection uh, to the details of this Christmas story. Notice what it says in verse number 26 again. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. And so we see uh, some more details. We see some details about the Christmas story. And there's, from a human standpoint, there's a lot of imperfection that's taking place. Verse number 26 says that uh, there is an angel sent from God. This angel's name is Gabriel. Uh, Gabriel was a very important angel, only one of two angels mentioned by name in Scripture. Gabriel is known as a presence angel, which meant that he stood at the presence of God. And so we have a very important angel who's sent to a very unimportant city. Uh, Gabriel is sent to Nazareth. Nazareth was held in contempt by the Jews. No one really liked Nazareth. No one really cared about Nazareth. Uh, in our day, Nazareth has maybe a couple hundred thousand people. In this time, maybe a few hundred people. Nazareth was a very small city, but uh, not only that, it was held in contempt. Uh, Philip said, can anything good come from Nazareth? Like, nobody liked Nazareth. Nobody cared about Nazareth. It was a very insignificant city. So we have a, a very important angel going to a very unimportant city with a message for Mary and Joseph. Well, what do we know about Mary and Joseph? We know a few things about them. The Bible says that they were espoused. This would have kind of been like an engagement period, but a little bit more serious, this betrothal period. It would have been under contract. And so uh, when they were, were to get engaged, they couldn't break off that engagement without a divorce. And so uh, this was a serious thing. But uh, we know that, uh, that they were espoused, and that means culturally they would have been very young. In fact, they would have been maybe uh, most commentators and theologians agree that they would have been between 13 and 15 years old, Mary and Joseph. So they were very, very young. Uh, the Bible tells us that they were very poor when they went, uh, when Jesus Jesus was 40 days old when they went to dedicate him at the temple. Uh, they went and they offered as a sacrifice pigeons. That wasn't the normal sacrifice. The normal sacrifice was a lamb, but they couldn't afford a lamb. And so the law made provision for the poor that you could bring uh, pigeons if you couldn't afford a lamb. And so Mary and Joseph, they brought pigeons, which tells us they were very poor. They were very young. Most likely they were illiterate. And so Mary and Joseph were not ideal candidates. This was an unimportant city, really unimportant people. The time period in which this angel came, in which this message came, uh, was the time period where Herod the Great was ruling. Herod the Great was the ruler of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was massively expanding. It was the first city to get over a million people. Uh, Herod the Great uh, was trying to uh, win favor with the Jews by doing two things. He, he, he married a Jewish woman, and he thought that that would kind of uh, make the Jews happy. And he also rebuilt and reconstructed the Jewish temple. I believe we have a picture of, of Herod's temple uh, in here. It was a massive, massive temple that Herod the Great rebuilt. And even though Herod tried to, to gain favor with the Jews, And even though he tried to kind of win them over, it did not work because he was known for his extreme brutality. 
Herod was a wicked, evil man known for killing his sons because he felt threatened, killed his mother-in-law. People said it would have been better to be Herod's dog than to be one of his sons. And so we have an unimportant city, really unimportant people, a terrible time in world history. This doesn't seem like the greatest time for the king of kings to make his entrance. There's a lot of imperfections right now to this story. You know, so often in our lives, we want things to line out just perfectly, don't we? We want things to kind of line up and, and, and to kind of fall into place just the way that we want them. I, I will admit that I'm somewhat of a perfectionist. Like that thing falling just bugs, <laughs> bugs me so bad. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. I think that we're off on my daughter Liv. She's a perfectionist. Uh, she uh, does not like to uh, uh, sleep. Uh, with her covers on because she hates when her bed is messed up. She has to, she will not sleep with any blankets. You go in there and try to give her a blanket and she'll say no because she doesn't like it when her bed gets a little wrinkled, when it gets a little messed up. She is a perfectionist. You know, sometimes the details aren't going to work out perfectly. Uh, sometimes we want the perfect uh, uh, family photo. We want the perfect Christmas meal. We want to get the perfect uh, present for somebody. You know, it's not always going to work out that way. And, uh, uh, we went and got uh, family photos or Christmas photos with Santa the other day with Liv's grandparents. And, and uh, this was the picture that we got on the left here. I'd be pretty scared too, to be honest with you. But, but they, they were freaking out, you know. And, and we just wanted a cute little family picture with Santa Claus. And that's what we got. And sometimes that's the way that it works. We, we want things to kind of line out perfectly. But the truth is, is sometimes in our narrative, there's going to be some imperfections. Uh, sometimes there's going to be some interruptions. And when there's interruptions to your story, and when there's imperfections to your narrative, we've got to rest assured that God is in control. Does anybody believe that God is in control this morning? Uh, God is perfectly sovereign, and in his providence, the details will work themselves out. And so we see in this story that we need to rest assured that God is in control. I love what the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse number 11, for I know, everybody say, I know, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. I love that verse because God says, I know the plans that I have for you. They are good plans to give you an expected end. And I think the most important word in that verse is I. I know the plans that I have for you. The truth is we don't know the plans. I don't know the plans, but God knows the plans. And sometimes they don't make sense. But number one, we need to rest assured that God is in control. Number two, if you're taking notes this morning, we need to recognize the reality of grace. Recognize the reality of grace. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 28. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Now, if you have a habit of underlining or circling in your Bible, I would encourage you to underline or circle the word favor. The word favor in the Greek is kairos. It means grace. It means that Mary found grace. This was undeserved favor that Mary found. Um, uh, 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 Dio Moody said this, grace means undeserved kindness. It is the gift of God to the, to the man the moment he sees that he is unworthy of God's favor. And so Mary, she found grace. She found undeserved favor. She was saved by grace. Up until this point, Mary does not know what grace is. And it's interesting that when the angel comes to Mary, there is no verse to commend her. There's no verse to say, look how great Mary is. Because when the angel Gabriel went to uh, uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth early on in the chapter in verse number six, it says, and they, Luke chapter one, verse number six, it says, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. They were really good people. 
They were righteous. They were walking in the ordinances. They were blameless. They were great. The angel came and spoke to them. It doesn't say that about Mary. And that's because God wants us to be sure that what Mary is about to get is not because of her own worthiness. It was because of his grace. See, was Mary a good, godly woman? Yes, she was pure. God used her. Uh, she was a good, godly woman. But God chose her not because of her character, but because of, her, but, but because of his grace. And so we need to recognize this morning that we are the recipients of grace. I read recently that China, uh, they released some documentation uh, where they have this new plan. They have this new idea where uh, they're going to uh, implement this process of uh, uh, giving out to their, their people a social credit score. And uh, what they're going to do is when people are really nice, they're going to use uh, technology to kind of monitor them. And when they're really nice and when they have good behavior, they're going to uh, give them some credits to their social credit score. Kind of like we have a, a financial credit score. We can check our credit. Well, they're going to have a social uh, credit score. And they said this is going to you know, help, help, help our community and this is going to help people. And they're going to try, try this idea out. In fact, uh, in fact, they said this. Um, the document states that they're getting ready with this idea. Good behavior promotes a harmonious socialist society. And so they can kind of cash in their, their, their social credit score, and if they get enough, they can kind of use it for government perks and different things like that. And, you know, we, we, we might say, you know, that sounds crazy, but the truth is at the, at the heart of every human, uh, we, we are constantly trying to measure up. We're constantly trying to measure our worth by our performance. And, and the reality is, is God did not choose Mary because she was so great. God chose Mary because he is great and because his grace is great. And we need to recognize the reality of grace. Uh, recent research, research shows that uh, 71% of Americans believe that you have to have good behavior. Good works are associated with salvation. 71% of Americans believe that you've got to be good to get to heaven. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 64, verse number 6, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. It's not about what we can do. It's all about the grace of God. This morning, I don't know about you, uh, but is anybody thankful for the grace of God this morning? Is anybody thankful for his undeserved favor? Is anybody thankful that, that it's not what we can do, but it's about what God can do through us? It's not about uh, what we can achieve. It's all about what we can re receive by uh, the grace of God. And so we've got to understand that, that, that God was working and operating in this situation because of his grace. Recognize the reality of grace. Number three. You can write this down. Number three, we've got to remember the magnitude of our God. Remember the magnitude of our God. The Bible says this in verse number 31. And behold, everybody say behold. If you're still with me, say amen. amen. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. Now, this would have been a very surprising birth announcement for Mary. Okay, uh, when Katie and I, we, when we had our second child, Luke, we got together and said, all right, we're going to take a break, take a couple years, and kind of, then we'll have the next one. We wanted to have uh, three, but we wanted to have a little break, and uh, about a couple months after we had that conversation, she's pregnant again. Um, now, that was great because we were excited, we wanted to have a third child, but maybe not do the same time, we're getting ready to launch a church, you know, the same week, maybe that wasn't the best timing. That was a little bit of a surprise uh, announcement for us, but imagine Mary's shock as, as the angel Gabriel comes and says, Mary, you're going to conceive and have a son, and his name is going to be Jesus. This would have been a surprising announcement. And then I love that Gabriel kind of goes on and says, if that wasn't surprising enough, Mary, let me go ahead and tell you a little bit about your son. And, and, and Gabriel's description of Jesus 
really will cause us to awaken the wonder of Christmas. Let's look at it. First, he says he's going to be great. Verse number 32, and he shall be great. Everybody say great. Uh, Herod ruled during this time, and he kind of had this self-imposed title, Herod the Great, but he was truly not great. And Gabriel was saying, let me tell you, Mary, who's really going to be great. It's going to be your son. His name's going to be Jesus. He's going to be great, glorious, wonderful, magnificent. There's going to be majesty. There's going to be power associated with his name. He is going to be Great. A couple weeks ago, uh, the uh, Houston Chronicle released this article where they had these astronomers get together and they were using the, the Hubble telescope and other observatories and they were kind of doing this study and they released a document that said uh, that there are now, uh, that, let me make sure I get this right, that there are now more than two trillion galaxies. And uh, they said that the universe has about 10 times more galaxies than we previously thought. They just came out with that in October. Can I say this this morning? God's resume is always expanding. You cannot limit the greatness of God. When we look to the heavens, the heavens declare his glory. And uh, God uh, truly is great. The Bible says in, in Psalm chapter 19, verse number one, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. A.W. Pink, a famous pastor, said this, happy is the soul that has been awed by a view of God's, God's majesty. The angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, he's gonna be great. And then he says, in verse number 32, notice what it says. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. He's going to be the son of the highest. Well, what does that mean? In this culture, a son carried the same attributes as, as, as the father. If you were known as the son of someone, you carried the same properties, the same qualities, the same assets of the father. And essentially, you were one. You were the same. And so what Gabriel was saying is, hey, your son is going to be equal with God. This was a claim to his deity. Your, your son is going to be God. Um, the Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 3. It, it says that Jesus is an exact reproduction of God, who being uh, the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, the express image, the exact replica, Jesus is God. How many of you believe this morning that Jesus is God? He is not, uh, uh, he is not man that became God. He is God that became man. And so he is, he is uh, the angel is declaring uh, who Jesus is. He's the son of the highest. I love that song that we sang a second ago, because how can you argue with the words that there is no one higher than our God? H how can you debate the fact that there is no one greater than the God that we serve and the God that we worship. He is the son of the highest. The Bible says in Psalms chapter 91, verse number one, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the most high, the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty. Psalms chapter 47, verse number two, that says that the Lord most high is awesome. And so he is the son of the highest. But also it says, it goes on, the angel's description, Gabriel goes on and says that he is eternal king. Notice what it says in verse 32. He shall be great. Everybody say great. And he shall be the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne. Everybody say the throne. The throne of his father David and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Uh, several different terms in those verses uh, uh, talk about his kingdom. He's going to have a throne. He's going to reign. There's going to be no uh, end to his reign. And so uh, the angel is describing Jesus saying that he is going to be eternal king. This was a fulfillment of prophecy. He is going to be the eternal king of kings. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 17 verse 14, these shall make war with the lamb and the lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and the king of kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. I, I just love this description that Gabriel comes and gives to Mary. Mary, let me tell you a little bit about your son. He's going to be great. There's going to be no one higher than him. He's going to be the eternal king of kings. Mary, your son, his, his name is Jesus. He is Savior. There is wonder and glory in his name. Recently, 
National Geographic magazine in May, they, they devoted a whole, um, the whole cover in, in this big part of the magazine to uh, Yellowstone National Park. And uh, they, were, they were describing how big Yellowstone is, and they were saying that uh, Yellowstone has about uh, 3,500 square miles to, to the national park, but only 300 miles are devoted to roadways. They only have a roadway system that goes up to 300 miles. And so the article was very interesting because it said many people come to Yellowstone and they leave saying we've seen Yellowstone when in all reality they've only seen 1% that Yellowstone has to offer. And they leave Yellowstone saying, hey, we saw Yellowstone and we, we got to experience it when really they didn't experience 99% of what it has to offer. I think sometimes we overestimate our understanding of who our God is. And sometimes we say, yeah, we serve a great God, but we don't know 99% of what God has to offer. He is eternal king. He is great. He is the son of highest. He is Jesus, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And he came to earth so humbly to save us from our sins. That's why he came, savior. We need to remember the magnitude of our God. When we have a proper understanding of God's greatness, that will produce in us a gratefulness for God that needs to be there. He is great, eternal king. I love what the Bible says in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. There is no other name like Jesus. What a beautiful name it is. What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. In fact, there are over 256 names for Jesus in the Bible. Why so many names? Why so many titles? Because no one name could accurately describe him. No one name could accurately express all of who he is because he is indescribable. He is awesome. He is great. And we need to awaken the wonder this morning of who Jesus is. Notice number four this morning. We need to remain faithful to our purpose. Remain faithful to your purpose. We've got to rest assured that God's in control. When there's interruptions, there's imperfections, we've got to rest assured, hey, God's in control. Do you believe that God's in control this morning? We need to recognize the reality of grace. How many of you are thankful for the grace of God today? We need to remember the magnitude of our God. We serve a great God. We serve an eternal God. We serve a God who is higher than all else. We serve a great God. And this morning, finally, we're going to see that we need to remain faithful to our purpose. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 34. We see Mary's concern here. Then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Now, notice that Mary does not say, how can this be? Mary says, how shall this be? Mary was not doubting that this would happen. She was wondering how it would happen. She was saying, I believe that this is going to happen, but can you fill me in a little bit? Because I don't know a man. How, how is this going to happen? Notice what the Bible says this in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. I love this verse, a virgin shall conceive. See, the word virgin in the Greek means parthenos. It means no sexual relations. And in, in, in Mary's mind, her virginity was a problem. Because how could she give birth if she didn't know a man? But see, Mary's perceived problem was the exact thing that God used as a platform for his glory. Mary's problem was simply a platform for God to show how great he is. And the Bible prophesied that a virgin will conceive. And so Mary's perceived problem was only a setup for God to do something great in her life. Uh, when Katie and I first got uh, pregnant with our daughter Liv, we read a book called What to Expect When You're Expecting. And, uh, and in fact, 93% of all moms who read a, a book on pregnancy, they read that book, What to Expect When You're Expecting. Well, Mary didn't have that book. She didn't have a book that says what to expect when you weren't expecting. Mary did not have that luxury, okay? 
She was kind of confused about this. She, she was, how can this be? How, how shall this be? How is this going to happen? She was about to carry a baby for nine months and she did not understand it. Can I just tell you this this morning? Sometimes you're going to have to carry what you can't comprehend. Sometimes you're going to have to deal with something that you quite can't understand. And Mary was about to carry something that she couldn't comprehend. But she, she was going to trust God fully. She said, be it unto me according to your word. Gabriel gives her a little bit of a little bit of reassurance in verse 36. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she uh, hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. Watch this, verse number 37. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Now that's good news for us this morning. That's good news because some of you walked in here with heavy burdens. Some of you walked in here with financial instability. Some of you walked in here with problems with your marriage and it seems hopeless. Maybe some of you walked in here with relational struggles or maybe this Christmas season isn't as exciting for you because it might be a little bit lonely. And there are some things in your life that maybe seem impossible. Why well, have good news? Because we serve a God of the impossible. We serve a God who there is nothing impossible for him. He can, he can uh, uh, give Mary a son who is a virgin. Jesus can rise from the death. He can raise us from the death. He has the power to heal and to forgive sins. He has the power to hear and answer prayer. He has the power to bring hope and restoration to every situation. This morning, he can, he can bring a church to this community and bring about a revival that no one could have expected because there is nothing, nothing impossible for God. I love how Mary responds, though. She says, be it unto me according to your word. I don't understand it all. I can't quite comprehend it. But be it unto me according to your I'm going to surrender. I'm going to remain faithful to the purpose, to the calling that you've given me. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Everybody look up here. Just hang tight with me for one more minute. A couple years ago, I had the opportunity to visit the Sistine Chapel. And it was an amazing sight seeing Michelangelo, uh, his paintings on the ceiling, and just an incredible thing to, to view and witness. And for years, people would actually criticize Michelangelo because they would say that he was insensitive to color. They would say, yeah, he's an amazing artist, amazing painting, but when we look at his paintings, they're just kind of dull. And, and, and Michelangelo, as talented and as amazing as he is, he was insensitive to color until one day they decided to bring a little bit of a restoration to the Sistine Chapel. And they started to actually clean the ceilings and clean the walls and the color started to come in view and the colors started to be more visible and they would pop and people were amazed and they said, wow, once the dirt was, was wiped away, the wonder was restored. Once the excess was wiped away, the wonder was restored and they said that every book ever written on Michelangelo will have to be rewritten. The wonder was declared this morning. Let's wipe away all the excess of Christmas and let's restore and awaken the wonder about what Christmas is really all about. It's about one man, his name is Jesus. He is great. He's the son of the highest, and he's eternal king. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? I'm gonna have a word of prayer in just a moment. How many could say, Matt, as you were talking this morning, as we were looking to scripture, I wanna have that heart that is awakened to the wonder of who Jesus is. I don't wanna just be 
excited about what's going on around me. I want to be excited about the God that I serve. He is amazing. He is awesome. And, and I want to awaken the wonder this morning in my own heart. If that's you, can I see your hand? I want to awaken that wonder. I want to worship God for who he is. That's awesome. You guys can put your hands down. Some of you might have come in here this morning. If you've never experienced the true meaning of Christmas, you've never experienced the wonder, never really understood exactly why Jesus came. He came so that we could have eternal life. He came so that we could have a relationship with him. He died on the cross as a payment for our sins. It's not about being good. It's not about trying to earn favor with God. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's the gift of God. The greatest gift you could receive this Christmas season is a relationship with Jesus. The greatest gift is his grace. This morning, if you're uh, here and you don't know for sure that if you were to die today, you'd, that you'd have a home in heaven. Well, that's what Christmas is all about. That's what this is all about so that we can know for sure that we have a home in heaven. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 13, these things are written, speaking of the word of God, these things are written so that we may know that we have eternal life. It's not about hoping. It's not about wondering. It's about knowing with an absolute certainty. And this morning, what I'd like to do before we kind of rush off and go our separate ways, I'd like to just lead in a simple prayer in the quietness and the stillness of this moment. I'd like to lead in a simple prayer. And if this morning, if you've never prayed and accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do so. And as I pray, you can pray along with me in your heart. I would encourage you to do that this morning. If you'd like to accept Christ, you can pray along with me. Dear Jesus, Thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the true meaning of Christmas. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I don't measure up. But God, today I want to receive your message of grace. I want to accept you as my Savior. God, today I want to turn from my sin and turn to you and believe in you with all my heart. Jesus' name. You can keep your heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. How many can say, you know, Matt, I prayed that prayer along with you for the first time today. I've had some questions and different things, but I prayed with you for the first time. I just prayed along with you and you prayed that. If that's you, can I see your hand? Can you slip your hand up and just say, I pray with you. Thank you. I prayed with you. It's awesome. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. And God, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the true meaning of Christmas. God, thank you that you came and lived so perfectly and sinlessly, Lord, for us. You did it for us, God. And uh, this morning, I pray that as we close out this service, that our hearts would remain stirred, that the wonder would remain awakened. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.